We're very, very excited to have Frank join us today. Longtime friend of mine, co-host of the amazing podcast, Drawn to the Flame, and all-around stellar human being. He is an editor and trainee therapist, and you should absolutely give him a follow on Twitter and listen to his podcast if you like living card games. So we'll link all of that in the show notes. So Frank and I actually met on Twitter all the way back in 2009, and then we became real-life friends. And I had the absolute joy of flatting with Frank when I was in my London OE, and basically you have never been able to get rid of me since. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just stuck around. Um, so we've enlisted your help with this particular text because so much of it takes place at Watford School of Magics, which is a magical boarding school in, you guessed it, Watford. Um, and you have always been my go-to expert for all things English boarding schools because you actually went to one. That's right. Yeah, um, I started at a prep school called St. Mary's Hall when I was 10 years old. And I stayed at that boarding school and then went on to the college, which is called Stonyhurst College, up to the age of 18. So I had eight, eight school years at boarding school. And at the point when I finished, that was the place I'd spent the most time in my life because my family had moved around the world but I'd always been there so yeah it was wow. a pretty significant part of my upbringing my development all of that kind of thing mm. I gotta go hug my kids real quick be right back <laughs> <laughs> yeah Jen your face you looking um yeah stricken yeah I love that you had such a nice immersive experience we're totally gonna take advantage of that yeah, please do. Please do. Yeah, maybe maybe you really needed my mother on this to talk about her experience. Um, because I have two brothers as well. So we all started at the age of 10. So she had a, you know, stepped process mm -hmm. to get into it. First, there was my older brother who left and she still had two at home. Then there was me that left and she had one at home. And then I think the big wrench was when my younger brother left. I sort of don't think my kids will ever move out like in this economy. It's never going to yeah. happen. So. Yeah. <laughs> Our theme this week is actually ability, and we were wondering if you mm -hmm. would tell us a story about ability. Yeah, yeah, I can try. Um, I can certainly share some sort of reflections about it. I hope it qualifies as a story. This jumped out to me as the theme because the motto of Stonyhurst is quand je puis in French, which means all I can or when I can or as much as I can, which I think chimes really nicely with the theme of ability because there was this expectation at school, I think, that you did lots of things and that school life was geared up towards letting you do a lot. And that actually, particularly the older we got, the more I found that the people who were missing out were the day pupils who just came to do school and then mm -hmm. left because the school day ended at 7pm because there were so many things going on like classes or sport or after, mm. after school things that what I found by the time we were sort of 17, 18 is that few people actually wanted to be day pupils because they then had to travel home and it was late and they mm. then have to do their homework. So most people either boarded or were weekly boarders. So during the week, there just wasn't that much point going home. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was partly because the school was so geared up towards letting everyone make the most of their abilities. So there was, you know, I did cross-country running, I did cadets, I played in two orchestras, I sang in three choirs, I did a play every single term. I think I, I was doing a lot, um, mm. but the environment was entirely geared up. No one was saying, wow, you need to slow down. Everyone was like, well, if you can do those things, do them. Um, mm. 
and I, you know, and I did my studies as well. I actually, um, I did an extra A level, just not on the curriculum because that was also okay. Not, to, I'm not saying that to brag, but I am kind of proud of that actually because the head of math said to me, "You could do maths A level," and I said, "Well, I've chosen other A levels." He said, "But you could still do it." So I was like, "Okay, sign me up." I hope that this is an ability story. Like it was an yeah. environment that seemed to um, let your abilities flourish. It didn't uh, bat an eyelid that people would want to do things like that. It's really interesting because it's kind of this idea, you know, like we all have the same amount of hours in the day, you know, that story people always say to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that environment, they're really gearing you up to actually make the most of the hours in your day. Yeah, totally. Everything gets fit into the time that you have there's not a kind of an idea that you wouldn't find time for something you just fit mm. things around whether that's doing a, a play rehearsal at like eight in the evening or in one break you know mm. it just it all fits in in that way and people are super busy in that way this is why we wanted you on because Jen and I <laughs> were trying to figure out the boarding school timetable and I was like oh you know I'd leave school at three and then we'd yep. spend an hour an hour and a half maybe a McDonald's afterwards because it was on the corner from my <laughs> high school and then I'd go home and I'd watch like the Disney channel for three hours until my mum came home and then I'd be pretending to do my homework like mm-hmm. you know this was the whole thing but yeah, yeah. it's just dead time yeah mm-hmm. oh I worked and avoided homework as much as humanly possible and tried to avoid extracurricular activities as well I was very misanthropic in school <laughs> which is so weird you're such a ray of sunshine now in my inner heart I am also the knight it's fascinating I think you could try to be that way at Stonyhurst. It's just that the whole place was not geared up to that. So you could just do your studying. You'd be forced to do some sport, but you could maybe try and skip it. Mm. And then you could go and and hide yourself away somewhere. And when I think about that, I think we had quite a lot of students from Spain and Mexico and then quite a lot of students from Hong Kong as well. So like a significant Mm. proportion of each year, a, a significant small proportion at least. And certainly the Hong Kong students would normally have someone's room that they'd set up a load of computers in. And this is like in the 90s and early noughties. Land parties. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That they were kind of geared up before the school had internet, things like that. And Mm. so they were less, my memory of that was they were less engaged in the kind of, we're going to do everything. It was like, we're here partly to learn English, partly to get a good Catholic education. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to at least have a social group that gives us a sense of normality and like an escape from the weirdness that is boarding school. So yeah, Mm. we could get away with that, I suppose. I can see how, especially a culture that's very different from when you grew up and you're sort of going, oh, I just want to talk to people who understand where I'm from and what my life is like. I think it would absolutely be very hard. I think I would have struggled. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've got older and I've reflected more on boarding school, maybe to get to the sort of the darker side of it, I think it was a very good environment as long as you conformed. Mm. And it really struggled as an environment to make space for not conforming. Mm, Or it struggles as an environment, certainly like among the student body, for people to be okay with that, you know just the fact that they were from Hong Kong and were different immediately marked them out. Mm. But if, say, I tried to do that, I think that wasn't... My impression was that wasn't permitted. You were expected that you fit in already so you didn't have to work harder to find community. Yeah, and you were expected to be okay with the community that was the norm so the idea that say I wasn't that into sport that wasn't (laughs) that wasn't permissible yeah 
Whereas like now I am quite into, you know, I like watching rugby now because I was at a rugby school, but at <laughs> school I didn't really play rugby. I was a, one of the weirdos who didn't play rugby and it was a bad thing. It mm. wasn't just a, oh, he doesn't play rugby. It was problematic in some way. It's okay. I didn't even know what rugby was until I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> You're American. It's all right. I feel like I'm learning so much just about random English culture. Um, speaking of random English culture, the thing that fascinates me about boarding school, which is a bit silly, but I'm just very intrigued by the housing slash sleeping situation. So how yeah. many roommates do you have? So um, I can explain this. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> I'm sort of clasping my hands. So the first <laughs> thing you need to know about Stonyhurst is that Stonyhurst was a Catholic boarding school mm-hmm. because my dad's Catholic. And it was run by Jesuits, which is a, a Branch part of, of the Catholic faith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they were set up in the 16th century, I want to say, maybe 15th century. So we're going for monastery vibes? They were kind of not monastery. Okay. They were like counter-reformation slash Catholic reformation, okay. very much about getting out in the world. Oh, because this was after <laughs> Henry and the whole... The Gospels. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, that was 15, um, 1540s, so. Is yeah, it? exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I mean, they're set up by a Spanish nobleman. He got shot by a cannonball, was recovering in bed. He like broke his leg, read all the romance novels in his room and also had a copy of the Bible and was like, I'm not going to waste my time reading that. Yeah. Ran out of romance novels and read the Bible <laughs> and had wow. a huge conversion <laughs> and decided as soon as he was healthy, he was going to take a pilgrimage immediately from Loyola in Spain to Rome. And so he set out, not really able to walk yet, gave all his clothes and money away to the first person he met on the road because that was the important thing he did about, you know, giving away your riches. Right. Yeah. And then basically got ill by the next village because he couldn't walk and had to recuperate more and realised he kind of done it wrong and it took him something like a year and a half to get to Rome anyway he was quite intense guy and he then went and set up the Jesuits and was like we need more people who actually are out there caring about this stuff anyway one of their missions was to educate people Mm -hmm. so they wanted to set up schools and they wanted the schools to actually give you a good education so that's how Stony has started. It started in France when Catholics were being persecuted in the UK. So English nobles who were Catholic would send their kids to France to get this education. This is a mm. huge tangent, sorry. No, anyway, it's this is all to say I that Stonyhurst partly <laughs> follows the English boarding school system, but then there's various things where it varies and differs. And luckily, my older brother now teaches at a more typical English boarding school, Charterhouse, and he's a housemaster there. So I also have that context and I kind of know how that works. So yeah, so why that's important for this is that one of the weird things about the Jesuits is that they believed that you shouldn't uh, house students in houses So with, you know, say six people from each year group all together, you should house people entirely in their year group and they should live together. And they called these playrooms. Hmm. Your playroom was the physical room where you could kind of hang out like your rec room or break room. But also your year was called a playroom. Hmm. What that meant was the living situation differed depending on what playroom, what year you were in. Okay. So when I started at Stonyhurst age 13... My year had two dorms for 80 boarders and each dorm had 40 beds in it. And they had these wooden partitions between the beds with a curtain in front. Wow. So you had your cubicle, which had like a bed, a little bedside table, and that was it. I think it had a shelf. It's literally dorms. It's like college. Yeah, it's big, big dorms. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, there'd be 40 of you. And in the middle of the dorm would be like a huge chest of drawers. 
where everyone so in the morning everyone opens their curtain comes out of their cubicle and everyone's clothes are like stored in the middle of the door wow and that meant if you had something like a dorm raid or things like that if someone turns on the lights for the dorm it wakes up 40 boys because it's one huge room so yeah like that was quite a hugely intense experience i'd say Mm -hmm. and you can stand on your bed and like look into the cubicle next to you sort of thing privacy like who needs it yeah there what about that yeah exactly not needed so that there's two years of that and then when you're 15 16 so when you do gcse's in england we went into rooms of two or three Okay. And then for the final two years, you were either in rooms of two or by yourself. Mm-hmm. So the change is quite stark as well, yeah. I think. Mm. What you found for the, like, when you were 15, 16, is people used to all hang out in one room because we were used to having a dorm mm-hmm. where there'd be like 15 people hanging out. And then suddenly you're in a room of two or three. So certain rooms became rooms that people hung out in. Yeah. Just, I think, naturally because people weren't used to privacy. They weren't <laughs> used to the idea that you'd like be separate. Someone's room would be the kitchen. Yeah, very everyone hangs out in the Mm. kitchen yeah exactly exactly (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. totally totally that you know there'd be people who they'd have a good stereo or they'd have Mm. music that people listen to or maybe they smoked out of their window so that was like the place you go to smoke out of that window whatever it is yeah is that shift to like the smaller room academically motivated the idea that you need more time or yeah i think so i don't know if there was more of a like logic than you're older so you deserve more privacy that's sort of how i would Mm. read it but that's a very amazing American view. Yeah, you don't have puberty until you're 15 or something. <laughs> like you can be in the big dorms up until that point, Just but now a child you're a... until you can drive. Yeah. yeah. I think the other thing to note about this, the other dynamic at play, is that because Stonyhurst doesn't have houses, Mm. everything was under one roof. And Stonyhurst, at the time I was there, was the largest school all under one roof. Mm. So it was all connected, which was great because it's in a very cold, wet part of England. So you didn't actually have to go outside. But that meant as well, the tail end of the school had the lower years. And then you moved to a wing that was called the West Wing. When you got to that age... 1516 that was smaller and had lots of individual rooms so i think partly it was just like the geography or the layout Mm. of the school that had this impact that's what the rooms were like so they had to split you up like that um and then for the final two years you were more at the front of the school there were two quads so there was the main quad and then the sherban quad so just buildings on four sides and that again was all small rooms Mm. around the quads Mm. and they all had different names so like there was a corridor called siberia and there was another corridor called Alaska. And the names are all just, I guess, were nicknames, but then had stuck. Mm. And there was a place out the back of the final year where everyone went to smoke outside. And it was called New York. And it was called New York because of the lights of New York, because of all the cigarette <laughs> right. lights. But everyone called it New York. Like that's, it was, oh, are you going to New York? Mm. Or oh, have you seen so-and-so? Oh, I think he's in New York. That was sort of what you did and mm. what you said. I feel like there could yeah. be a real roaring trade of nicotine gum at these boarding schools. That is the vibe I'm getting. I'm just worried about their lungs yeah. and their health. They're only young. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And it was a not to sort of overly glamorize it, but there's like a healthy black market of that as mm-hmm. well, of who's bringing cigarettes back. If you're flying from overseas, in theory, you can buy duty-free cigarettes mm-hmm. and then sell them to other people. That all was part of being at boarding school as well. It's the same. Some of the Mexican kids would bring back these lollies called beer lollies. Mm. They're like in the shape of a frothing beer 
Stein. And the the rumor that went around was that they were alcoholic, but they obviously weren't. <laughs> they were just sugary. But they people would sell these lollies like he must you buy a sack for like a pound, and then he'd sell each lolly for a pound and make this. huge amounts of money. It was just a thing that went on. I would have been all over this. I ran a quite prolific. Uh, trade and gum when I was at high school so this okay, would have yeah, been like yeah. right up my alley this would be a lucrative market for you yeah and like cap- captive audience as well you know that yeah. no one's going anywhere else no one's like oh I'll just buy gum later when I was in South Africa we had a bomb scare one day and we had like an entrepreneur day where you would take things to market and sell them and I used to sell these lollies that I would buy in bulk and then foist off on the market day <laughs> and when we had this bomb scare I'm like this is it so I took all my lollies out as we evacuated and no one had food <laughs> So I was just like raking it in because I was the only person wow. selling anything. Wow. I'm this so is proud it. of you. You're like, I see opportunity. <laughs> yeah. right. Look at this. Yeah, you see? <laughs> I denied it for so long, but it was always there. Um, so aside from the illicit food, what, what was the food like at school? I mean, like, did you miss your parents cooking? Did you want to go home and have whatever mom was making? Or was it like super delicious and amazing? It definitely wasn't super delicious. Can say that safely. I think one of the most difficult things about it was it was you're there seven days a week mm-hmm. and you know what's going to be on each day. Right. And oh, okay. even if there's choice, you might know that the choice isn't very good. Right. Mm. So I can't remember exactly what it is, but like you're you know that oh Tuesday the the dreaded dish is cheese pie garni, <laughs> which as far as I can tell is just like very cheap rubbery cheese melted with like very badly cooked pastry just put on top right and i think it's a rite of passage that you pick that once for lunch whatever it is and then never again <laughs> and the great fear is like arriving to lunch late and it's a that's tuesday left. Uh, yeah exactly everyone's taken everything else <laughs> you're like i will have a slice of the cheese pie garni this hurts me. i think the upside of all of this is that i feel like i can pretty much eat anything to survive now <laughs> like you lose all <laughs> discernment because that's what you get and while i was there in the eight years I was there there was a movement towards making it the food better Mm -hmm. which was good Mm -hmm. that was partly because my year was the first year to accept girls so I think there was this reappraisal going on while I was there around like hang on is this actually okay to like serve utter utter (laughs) crap um (laughs) it's fine for the boys but for the girls we must think so there were four meals a day just to go into the detail Mm -hmm. there was breakfast which was more or less optional. It was like choices of cereal, toast. I think sometimes there was like cooked breakfast. I think at the weekend there was like full cooked breakfast. And then other days of the week, there might be like fried eggs on one day or like Mm. sausages on another day. So like if you wanted to make a sausage sandwich or a bacon sandwich, you'd know that that day was worth going. And you queue up and there was a sort of canteen that you're in. Then there was lunch, which was normally like, again, a couple of choices of hot food and like a salad bar. And then there was tea, which was like at 4pm and was unlimited sliced bread and jam. And they put toasters on all the tables. Mm. So that was like basically your refuel point. And particularly in winter, you do sport after lunch and before tea, like in that like 1pm till 4pm slot. Mm -hmm. And you'd come in, it would be dark, you'd be really cold because you've been out playing rugby or out running and you'd shower and then go to tea and eat like six slices of toast. Yeah, And that was like refuel time. And then there was dinner at... 
I want to say like 6.30 or 7. So you'd have more lessons after tea and then have dinner. And dinner would be like a few choices. And the biggest improvement they made was when I was 16 or 17. There used to be that you could have like chips or potatoes with your meal. Mm-hmm. And when I was 16 or 17, they changed it. There was chips with every dinner unlimited. Carbs. <laughs> so you could ser- serve yourself chips at the end of like the thing. They basically, I think, gave up trying to portion out the chips yeah. and they just let people do it themselves. Yeah. And that was amazing. Like particularly if you're doing loads of sport, people would get their plate of food and then they would get a dessert bowl and just <laughs> fill it with chips mounded high, cover that with ketchup and that would be like their second meal alongside their dinner. Look, the Irish figured this out a long time ago. Potatoes will take you most of the way <laughs> yeah, nutritionally. Yeah. Potatoes and milk, yeah. that's enough to keep you alive. <laughs> and it's funny actually because was the food good or not? No, it wasn't very good. Did you get unlimited chips? Yes, that was great. <laughs> that's enough. So like they're catering to the audience really well in a way. As a 16 year old, I would have been all about the unlimited chips like sign me up yeah as someone in their late 30s i'm still about unlimited chips let's be honest like (laughs) yeah and if you turn up and it's cheese pie garni and Mm. you're like oh my god you're like okay i'll just have a bowl of chips that's fine (laughs) yeah that will do me so yeah there was that i suppose and then the other aspect of food is that in your playroom your playroom master who's like your head of year your teacher they would normally have some kind of tuck shop offering. Oh, right. So whether they're like selling pot noodles or chocolate bars or things. Mm. So there was that going on as well, that people were like maybe brought pot noodles from home or mm. whatever it is, or super noodles or whatever. And then also there were a couple of pizza delivery companies, mm. like just local companies that you knew that there were speedies and there was another one. So yeah, there were certain nights of the week that people would order pizza as well. So if you're lucky, you could have five meals in a day. (laughs) You'd have like a pizza that arrives at 10pm as well. That's how many growing kids are supposed to have. They're supposed to have breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner. You're supposed to have five meals a day. Yeah, Hobbit's had it right. (laughs) Yeah, second breakfast, that's where it's at. You return to that kind of um, baby stage, right? Of just... Mm feeding and sleeping often yeah teenagers so, yeah. teenagers 100 they're in their it's like birth to three being a teenager is almost exactly as significant <laughs> oh in terms of development and growth yeah other thing i'd say about food just while i remember it is if there was ever a nice dessert we all learned that you have to lick your dessert as soon as you get it <gasps> so say it was donuts so someone won't steal it yeah, you're sitting with your tray, you're eating your main and your donut is sitting on your tray. Someone can just take it and take a bite out of it. So you sit down and you lick your donut and put it back. That's feral. Yeah, it's pretty savage. And like similarly, there was one there was one boy who would grab a lollipop out of your mouth. If you didn't care about other people's saliva, mm-hmm. you could do a lot of food stealing. I bet stealing. this guy's had COVID right. already. <laughs> I mean, his nickname was The Rat. Once you've got that as a nickname, you kind of lean into it. You're just like, fine. <laughs> You're all Poor stuck guy. there. I think that's just your identity now. Hmm. Well, that's actually an interesting point. So this kind of bond that you forge with people, is that something that you, you've mm. sustained outside of school or not really? Yeah, when I was looking at your questions and thinking ahead of this, I don't know how much I'm a typical boarding school student. So my older Mm. brother, still good friends with lots of people Mm. he was at school with. My younger brother, the same. Me, not really Mm. at all. And how much is that school and how much Mm. is that me? How much is that not feeling like school ever really got me? So, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it. And it's funny, you know, I'm friends with a lot of the people now Mm. on Facebook, as we mostly are with people we went to school with. And you can see that they still chat to each other in little groups and that that bond has definitely uh, persisted Mm. for them. You know, these are people that are close friends of theirs. But yeah, not so much for me. 
But I think partly it's because I feel like I really outgrew mm. the school. You know, going back to the idea of ability, there was so much I yeah. wanted to do and school let me do a lot of those things. But I don't know if it knew how that was OK or yeah. <laughs> how did you make sense of that within the context of the school? So, yeah, I think that bond exists. And, I, you know, just mentioning a, someone called the rat, like there's other nicknames, I think, that would come to mind. There's other occasions that I remember really vividly like that. Mm. So like aged 13, so that first year of big dorms, I think you're going to love this. The dorm was like on the second floor, which was the top floor. And you had to go down two winding staircases to get to the showers, Ooh. which were on the ground floor. But they weren't just on the ground floor. They were also outside. So you had to go out a door and run across this little alleyway into like an outbuilding that had a big rank of showers in it. So you all stood in a row showering. The thing is, you had to take your clothes off upstairs in the dorm and then wrap a towel around you and then run downstairs two flights and go outside and go into the showers there had to be a teacher once a week you had to shower and there had to be a teacher taking register and they would stand outside the shower block and if they opened the door because there was like Mm. yelling inside everyone would chant pedo pedo (laughs) pedo like shame this teacher (laughs) of course gosh but also then the big the big danger was after you'd showered you'd be heading back upstairs and the boys from the year above would wait at the bottom of the stairs Mm. and try and steal your Mm -hmm. towel off you and then you'd have to run two flights of stairs naked sounds super fun this doesn't really answer whether there was a bond forged with them yes there was a bond (laughs) with all the other people i ran the gauntlet with oh my gosh we have been through an experience (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, is this also something they've rethought when they introduced girls to the uh, ecosystem? Yeah, I think they must have done. <laughs> that system doesn't work. It works for single sex. I mean, at that point, when girls started in my year, we were 75 or 80 boys and three mm. girls. And the girls actually stayed in a teacher's house mm, because ideal. they hadn't even yeah. worked out like where to house them and what to do. And there was quite a lot of renovation while I was there of like what if we turn one of those dorms Mm. into a girls dorm and as when they did that they were like well there can't be cubicles then we're going to actually put rooms there and it was like (laughs) why cubicles were fine for every year of boys and so they like tore out the cubicles and turned them into dormitories that were like sleep three or four and had desks in and things so it was quite a lot of upheaval for quite a lot of ill feeling Mm. for the boys of like why why is this okay for them and not for us yeah why have we been tortured for x number of years (laughs) yeah so after that experience that you've had what was it like going home was that quite a nice change and how often did you go home you said your parents Mm. were away quite a bit yeah they moved around my dad was a diplomat going home was amazing absolutely I remember my first day at boarding school age 10 I worked out how many terms I would have eight times three is Mm. 24 and every term that started I did a little mental tally of how Mm. many terms were left at boarding school up to my final term when I was like 24 of 24 and you'd have a little uh, calendar that sort of had all the important things and it had space for you to put your timetable in it and I would dutifully cross out like the days the best thing was to forget to cross one out oh, and then get to cross out two. Like, ah, oh, yes, time has passed. And that weird experience of like the first week always goes really mm. slowly. So I'd go back Christmas and Easter and then summer. Mm. And then there would be half term as well. So there'd be a, like a week break in yeah. each of those terms. And in my second year at school, so when I was 11, 
the Easter term was like five weeks and then five weeks. And my parents were living in Moscow and they decided they wouldn't see us that half term. We'd go and stay with my grandmother and with an uncle and aunt and things. And that flying to Moscow for just, it was like, I guess, six days mm-hmm. wasn't worth it. And they were so miserable that they were like, never again, mm. every half term we are seeing our I sons. That. So that was good. And then the times when they were living in the UK, there would be things called exiat mm. weekends. So exiat meaning let him leave. Okay. Um, like it's the weekends that you go away mm-hmm. from school. There'd be like one every half term and they would encourage all parents to take their child out of school. So if my parents were in the country, they would come to school. They had a cottage sort of half an hour away from mm-hmm. school that we'd go and stay in, which was amazing. The other thing about exiats that was, I think, pretty good is if you didn't have parents take you out, they tried to do something nice mm. for you, like take you to the cinema, take you bowling, take you somewhere so i had quite a few experiences of like me and a load of spanish boys going bowling because <laughs> <laughs> like if my parents were out of the country then they weren't taking me out or i'd have family members mm. come and take me out which was quite nice like an uncle or an aunt yeah absolutely looked forward to going home it was like um night and day and it's a funny one actually because i don't remember really holding on for it but just knowing that it's going to be so much better and obviously you're not working you're mm. a break you know you're with your family so home was still home like school wasn't home it was school and home was still home yeah and I said at the start that I'd spent more time there than anywhere else in the world that was a weird thing to Mm. feel you know I was so ready to be out of that place and then to think hang on I've actually spent more time here than anywhere Mm. else like no way I'm gonna call this home (laughs) it's not true of adults working though how much time do we spend in the office versus how much time we spend awake in our own homes Mm. well yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the strange things about yeah. the mm-hmm. pandemic that of them being like, hang on, I actually spend time here. Like, do I like this space? Do I want to inhabit it? Do I like the people that I yeah. cohabit with? Like I'm related to them all. I think that was a real wake up call for loads of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've always said home is wherever my mm. parents were, certainly growing up. What mattered was being looked after by mum, seeing my dad, not a place. Yeah. yeah. Are your brothers close in age to you? Like, were you, you were at school at the same time? There was one year when we were okay. all there. So my older brother is two years older than me, but was three school years ahead, just because of how our birthdays fall. And my younger brother is four and a half years younger than me. So he was four below me. So there was one year when Andrew was in his final year. Mark was 10 and had just started, and I was halfway between them. Sounds nice. I mean, I also had a lucky experience there where I always mm. had a sibling from the point I started to the point I finished. Didn't help, did it? <laughs> um, did anyone like stay behind? Like you said before, you know, you'd go bowling with all the Spanish kids. Sometimes they just stay the whole year or did they always go home at some point? They always went home for Christmas and Easter, okay. yeah. Yeah. I think I remember that for some half terms, there'd be like a Spanish or a Mexican boy who had nowhere to go and they'd like stay with the teacher, mm. I think. And there'd be this weird thing of if you were flying, you might flying home your flight might not be for like 36 hours after right. term ended. I quite like those times actually when school was basically deserted and you had these weird empty hours mm. to fill. Like maybe you're staying another mm. night because normally meals would be staggered based on which year you were in. And they'd be like, everyone come at 6 p.m. And you'd arrive and there'd be people from the final year and people mm. from your year all for dinner because there's only like 40 of you left in the school. I think I like those times when you're in the building, but it's not mm. being the usual school thing. You're sort of in this weird, oh, this is just an empty building that I'm hanging yeah. out in. 
And also the chance to mix with other kids different ages. Mm. I think that's so important. It sounds like the playrooms made it really intensely your year group all of the time. Mm. Yeah, you wouldn't normally mix with others. The big change up there again was Mm -hmm. girls. The year above us when we were 13 were very interested in our year because we had three girls and they wanted to come and spend time with us. And they were the the cool older boys who were 14 Mm. rather than 13. You know, suddenly there was this interest and that I think really changed things up. And then, you know, a year later, we were those 14 year olds and the year below us had more girls. I think it had 15 or 20 girls. It's like, oh, wow, that sort of started to break down the playroom dynamic, I think. We had a thing called studies, which is um, when Mm. you did homework. You had that every evening for an hour or so. And studies normally was supervised by a student from the final years. So that was one of their responsibilities was to come and sit in your classroom and get you all to shut up and do your work. (laughs) You did know who people were from the sixth form from the final two years. It's like being a Um, TA, really. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And they had very limited power in what they could do to punish you. So there was this weird, like, they had to be very threatening because they didn't real actually power. have any real power. It's just older sibling so, dynamics. Yeah. I'm telling you now, this is if, yeah. this is all the yeah, older totally, siblings, like, totally. their time to shine. Bossy, yeah. but not able to actually do anything in case of getting in trouble. Yeah. I have a question about accents, because as you know, I've got a really weird accent mm-hmm. that changes all the time, depending on who I'm with or where I'm yeah. living. Do people's accents change while they're at school or is it just not enough time? Good question. Fascinatingly, Stonyhurst is in Lancashire, which is in the north of the country. So it has the Lancashire accent is quite a strong mm. accent. But most of the English students came from the south, came from like London or around London. And so there was a real divide between day boys who would be local and have mm. Lancashire accents and boarders who would be southerners and this tension between what accent mm. you had. So if anything, there was maybe more of an Keeping. emphasis on right. being posh and speaking with an accent like me and not the word that was used for Lancashire people was dilly. That was like mm-hmm. an insulting word to be a dilly. Never heard it again, but it was like really bad. Is that like bogan, do you think? Maybe. But there's like a divide between the north and the yeah. south anyway in the UK, right? Yeah. Is it in Lock, Stock and mm. Teeth Smoking Barrels or Snatch? One of the Guy Ritchie films, they talk about northern mm. monkeys and mm. southern yep. fairies. There was definitely some of that dynamic going on, like dillies were stupid, you know, unrefined. Mm. There was a lot of classism mm. as well. This idea that the people who were day boys were like nouveau riche right. or they were like rich local people people who didn't understand the history and didn't understand the meaning of it. they were just paying to come here because it was the most yep. expensive school in the area <laughs> was the sort of thing it still happens said. here in sydney australia like i see that mm-hmm. all the time the amount of parents who come up with this like legacy it's a whole yeah. thing and it just yeah, yeah, makes me absolutely. crazy because like this is not important guys <laughs> this does not matter mm-hmm. and andrew sees that dynamic teaching now as well as a housemaster because the other sort of unifying thing is that Stonyhurst is a good Catholic school that had been going for Mm -hmm. 400 years at the time I was there so there might be you know this is why we had people from Mexico and Spain it's like do you want a Catholic English education Stonyhurst is one of the places to go to so you can at least say like oh my family care about its faith whereas in the public school system more generally public in 
England meaning mm-hmm. private. You don't have that reasoning necessarily. If you want to go to Eton or Winchester, it's just about mm. how much money you have. And they can say, oh, it's about, are you from an old family that has tradition? Did your parents go or your father mm. go here, obviously? But that doesn't actually, apart from that, what do you have that means it's important? And Andrew certainly experiences that with some of the students. They're going to Charterhouse because it's the most expensive right. school in the area because their parents have lots of mm. money. So there's no like moral heart to why they want to go at this school it's just something that they've status earned. thing. That is wild. That's the entire opposite approach yeah. to education that I have. <laughs> yeah. I think I think as I have as well. Mm. It's sort of anti-community yes. in its own way. I wonder if this is why these schools really care about fostering community because they're saying we're going to draw people out of their communities and put them here and say that they're now that they're actually here for exceptional reasons rather than just because they mm. live here or they're yeah. part of this community. And I think there's definitely a lack of recognition, just as a complete aside. I think there's a lack of recognition that not every school is going to work for every child. And like, Mm. there should be more transparency around Mm -hmm. that. Like, you might get a really gifted math student, but putting them in a a school that isn't going to honor that or create the right supportive environment is not going to do anything for them. And the same with someone who's really Mm -hmm. into the arts or theater. Like, you just can't jam Mm. them into one prestigious school and say, this is the one. We will do this. Like, it really does come down to the, the personalities of the kids and the admin and teachers and everyone else yeah and people kind of use that exceptionalism Mm -hmm. also as an excuse for not like accommodating people like I found that with my school so I went in Australia I went to a terrible high school it was like one of the top 10% impoverished schools in the country like we had a reputation and I was still like the top student in my entire district and so people were like see it doesn't matter what school you go to it's just how hard you work and it's like no I'm a massive nerd you could put me in any school it doesn't matter but that's not true for everyone like you need to support people like you can't hold me up as an example Mm. for your bad school yeah i think the catholic ethos here i mean i'm not a practicing catholic anymore um i sort of drifted away from that but the catholic ethos at stonyhurst at least meant it did have this underlying attitude of we're gonna try and do the best for each Mm. student and the range is something that i am proud of so in my final year you know i did my four a levels i was not the best student there was someone who did eight my gosh You normally do three. He did every maths module you can do, most of them self-taught and a bunch of sciences and like went straight to Cambridge. There was another boy in our year who did his GCSEs, so they're the exams you do Mm. when you're 16, for the third time to try and get a pass in English and maths. And he got the passes. And so he'd done them three years in a row. They just worked on that. We're going to get you your two GCSEs by the time you mm. finish this school. And that was a yeah. huge achievement as well. And that was in the, in the range of like mm. 80 boys. You had that diversity. So again, like maybe that yeah. comes back to ability, doesn't it? Of that the school did seem to more or less be able to, to respond to ability mm, yeah. in that way. To give each person their own metric to work against or work towards. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Because not everyone's output looks the same. Not everyone's measure of success looks the same, right? And that's where we do a disservice to children is forcing them to go for the same goal. Yeah. Or fit the same mold, like forcing them to play rugby when they don't want to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That metric actually really Mm. skewed things of like, were you in the first team for your year? That meant you were a good student (laughs) versus were you not? And I wonder about this as well. Like you'd have a head boy. um, The name was head of Mm. the line. It wasn't head boy you'd be head of the line you had to really play in the first 15 
more or less to be head of the line. So you could be a student like me and do everything mm. else, but I was pretty confident I wouldn't ever be head of the line. And the guy who got it in my year, really nice guy, did mm. play rugby. And, and funnily enough, actually, he was a day boy and they said to him, if you're going to be head of the line, you're going to have wow. to board. So he, so oh, he wow. had to board. You, if you were head of the line, you got a couple of great privileges. You could grow a beard. <laughs> okay. What yeah. if you can't grow a beard? Can you then pass on that privilege to someone who can? Do you have like a hair suit? Yeah, annoyingly who... not. <laughs> Take this mantle. All the kind of like hairy, <laughs> hairy students who are, you know, 17, 18, bursting with testosterone and having to shave every day, furious that this <laughs> clean-faced boy becomes head of the line. You were also allowed to keep a goat. Oh, Okay. We have goats in our book. They're very important. <laughs> no one I know of ever oh, did no that. Oh, no pet goats. That's but a shame. They could keep a goat. I love this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why a goat? Please tell me they were on the school crest. No, they're not. No. I think it goes back to times when keeping a keeping an animal would provide you with a source of milk right. and a source of, you mm. know, things like that. It would actually be a useful thing to have. Mm. So oh, there's another fun fact about Stonyhurst. Arthur Conan Doyle went to Stonyhurst, mm. creator of Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes, and his diary of the time still exists. There's also a desk with his name carved into oh, it wow. there and That's things awesome. like that. But he, this actually links back to staying over holidays. He spent Christmases there. They didn't go home at Christmas. And he's got a diary of the food that he and two friends stole from the, the ref to have their like Christmas feast. Oh my gosh. So this is like obviously way back in the day. This didn't happen for us anymore. But we've like every student has read mm. that and seen that. And he like they stole a boiled ham and like a jar of cranberry sauce and stuff like that and had a feast. I love, it. love that. So when I think of the goats, I think of these older times when maybe you lived at the school mm. for longer and it kind of mattered. You wanted things that were like home comforts, mm. like a goat. Yeah, of course. <laughs> when I was reading the Wikipedia for Stonyhurst before this, I saw that you had a New Zealand prime minister as well so that's nice oh <laughs> i didn't know that good did you play golf as well do you have to <laughs> no no i didn't play golf i think i only played it once in eight years there although in our final year our big prank was we all smuggled ourselves out of the school and had a massive party on the golf course because it was sort of out of sight mm-hmm. of the school it rolled away ideal senior skip yeah. day yeah exactly so this leads neatly on to the other thing I've been avoiding saying, and you might have noticed I get awkward whenever I try and name the years, mm. because the school years, because it's the Jesuit system, don't correspond to anything I've come across ever anywhere else. Interesting. Um, so I'm going to regale you with them. So when you're 13, the school is called Lower Grammar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you have Grammar. Mm-hmm. Then when you're living in the West Wing, it's called Syntax. Ooh. Okay, that's new. Then when you're 17, it's poetry. Aww. And then when, when you're in the final year, it's rhetoric. Okay. I kind of love that. <laughs> yeah, so you'd be a lower grammarian, a grammarian, a syntaxian, a poet, or a rhetorician. Mm. And are like, when you're in rhetoric, all of those behaviours are called rhetoric dares. Right. So people would like brick up the ref. Some people did actually smuggle a sheep into the school <laughs> at one point, which was actually a really major incident. The sheep got hurt oh, no. and they'd stolen it from a field and oh, the dear. farmer then wanted money for the sheep. Oh, you know, no. like it was actually yeah. has yeah. a financial value attached to it and things like that. At the end of the avenue at the front of the school, there was... No, it's not this actually. There's a different part where there's a statue of Jesus mm. and two boys painted footsteps coming off the statue, walking all the way to a toilet... 
sitting at the toilet and then walking all the way back like in white paint one night which must have taken them ages because you've got to do yeah. like footsteps all the way um just as a thing i have to, to applaud do. the and, yeah. genius of that prank and that's quite harmless like yeah no sheep yeah someone has to clean up the paint but otherwise it's fine footsteps. yeah yeah so there were yeah there were things like that that people did and they were called rhetoric days right. we didn't have a loose sheep but we did have greased pigs that was a thing that happened yeah we didn't do anything fun like that. We just skipped out class every last day of every summer term and went to the beach. The whole grade would just not go to school. Oh, Good okay. times. Wow. Get horrifically Fair sunburnt. <laughs> That's what it's like down here. Okay, well, tell us if there is one stereotype about boarding school that is absolutely true and then one that isn't. This is the question I found really hard. Okay. What are your stereotypes about boarding school? And maybe that will help us. I asked my wife about this and she said, well, the stereotype about boarding school messing people up is true, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say, I was like, does it make you incompetent thanks. talking yeah. to women? Because in my experience. Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true as well. I mean, yeah, like I've said, we had women around. I think it definitely skews your perception of that kind of thing. Mm. It did for lots of the boys. I remember when we were in poetry or rhetoric can use the names now like final years having conversations with a couple of friends being like just because there are some girls here doesn't make them the be all and end all Mm. and in not very much time we're actually going to be out in the world where you don't have to obsess over this one girl in our year so there was certainly a, a degree of that what other stereotypes are there that everyone who goes there is entitled that's definitely not true there were quite a lot of people who were on bursaries or scholarships or things like that although that air of entitlement was still there Mm. I think I just have a really skewed idea of what boarding school is because I'm so steeped in Harry Potter. Mm. Mm -hmm. I guess like Francis Hodgson Burnett, you know, like the secret garden Mm -hmm. and Jane Eyre as well was hugely formative for me. Yeah. If you added uh, like partition walls between the beds in that dorm that she's Mm. in, that would be like the lower grammar and grammar dorms. That's what I thought of. I was thinking of them breaking the ice of their water jugs in the mornings and like shivering in their little nightgowns and those dorms to help you picture them they were double height so they were like big high ceiling rooms and the windows were higher up Mm. and they had the heating was a pipe that ran all the way around the edge of the room with a radiator sort of intermittently round so if you were really lucky your cubicle had a bit of radiator Mm. but if you weren't you just had a pipe and drying your sports kit you would just pile it on this pipe and it would sort of harden and and then you'd crack it to put it back on and things like that there would be a parents weekend in october or november that they'd encourage parents to come like an exit weekend but also speak to teachers and they would on the friday before that the heating would go on and on the sunday night the heating would be off again and you could feel the pipes scam. be cold again. It's a scam. Yeah, and then they wouldn't they wouldn't turn the heating back on until December. Oh no. So you'd have like I think it was Halloween and you'd know like first year I was like, "Oh wow, the, the heating's on. This is great." And Edvard who knew was like, "It's just for this weekend." Oh, no. I'm not into that at all. I would not have survived. Yeah. I used to wear gloves around the place and things like that. Like I got chillblains on my hands, which are those They're you so know, lumps from being cold. Uh, and my dad, when he was there, was the same. Like he was very sympathetic. Yeah, I got chillblains. Cool. That doesn't mean it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad we have this thing in common. Yeah. <laughs> Could you take your own heater? Because at work when they refused to turn the heater or like the heating on, I I just purchased a heater and took it in and then I got told off because it was a <laughs> fire hazard apparently like a little fan heater yeah like is that a thing you could have done 
I reckon probably people did do that, and I reckon probably they got taken mm. away as fire hazards, if, if I had to guess. I don't remember anyone I was close to having that, but yeah, for sure, that was a possibility. Are heaters much of a thing, though, in the UK? I feel like everybody mm, has true. radiators, around, like we, down in the Antipodes, mm. because nobody built their house for the cold, Mm-mm. we just suffer, because it's not actually mm-hmm. that, like, it's survivable. So heaters are a big deal here. I think I have five in my house. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe less so here. Because there is that expectation. That you'll have heating in the building, like there will be a boiler and a radiator. Yeah, Yeah, it's a good point. In theory. (laughs) It's not necessarily on, but it's there. It exists. When it's raining here in Wellington and I walk to work, I will often take, because I wear my running shoes to work, I will take my socks off and put them over the radiator at work. So if that makes you bring back your memories from boarding school, it's still alive and well. Yeah, Yeah, picture not just your (laughs) socks, but all of your clothes covered in mud and you're like desperately trying to dry them because you're going to be wearing them in a day's time to go out again they still damp aren't they when you're putting them on again yeah i just feel like there's so much tinea everywhere like the real black market trade would have been in caniston or something oh right yeah I just want to go back in time and like fix it all for you, Frank. I'm feeling very sad. (laughs) Thank you. I think, I mean, this is, maybe this is another stereotype that if you go to boarding school, you're like resilient and you can handle things. Mm. And I think that maybe is true to a certain extent because I certainly put up with a high degree of things that when I've told people outside of boarding school haven't experienced it, you did what? You know, like for instance, if you're in pain, you could go to, we didn't even have a nurse. We had a chief medical officer. Mm. Fancy. He was this appalling guy. And if you're in pain and he would give you a throat lozenge, but it was like industrial throat lozenges and they were sharp. Oh no. They weren't smooth. <laughs> I can remember this really vividly. Like, why would I want one of these? And you'd have to really like plead with him to get paracetamol just wasn't a thing like so access to pain Mm. medication and i remember there was when i was 14 i remember being pretty miserable my eczema was really bad i had braces i realized i was just in a lot of pain Mm. you didn't you didn't get any painkillers or anything you just kind of muddled through like now if i'm in pain my my reflexes oh i feel really sad and they'll be like hang on no (laughs) i don't feel sad i feel in pain and i can actually do something about that like i can yeah yeah, i can take medication that will help Mm. me whereas back then I just it's inconceivable to me my kids get hurt all the time and I'm like arnica and like here's your cortisone and like (laughs) I don't know I'm just imagining this man with a giant block of lozenge and he's just chiseling it off and that's why it was that's literally what we used to say that's literally what we used to say it's like why are they sharp shards like what does it come from like bought it from the army surplus or something just like a giant block and it was a kind of um it was like a orangey brown color it was like resin mm, that's you, what i was picturing yeah yep. yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have to research this like bulk order of lozenge to see if we can get to the bottom <laughs> yeah. of this i remember them being pretty good like i remember them being better than strepsils well strepsils they had the some power to them for your throat but they also tasted rank I also remember for him, if you had to get any vaccinations to go overseas, he was medically trained so he could administer. Was he though? And there was, well, (laughs) there was one boy he gave a vaccine to or whatever it is. And you get your little cotton bud. Am I allowed to tell stories that include blood? Yeah, that's okay with blood. Yeah, yeah. And he put the cotton bud on it and he left and he lifted the cotton bud up and he was just bleeding like sort of quite severely out of the hole so he went back to the chief medical officer and said what have you done and the chief medical officer just said oh (laughs) that was his response 
I have accidentally hit a vein. Sorry about that. Yeah, exactly. Gosh. Like, how many of these have you done? And you just... <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. See... Yeah, I'd say they, that environment was not... There was a there was an infirmary with a couple of beds in, so you could be admitted to the infirmary. My memory of it is like, don't get ill. Yeah. yeah. It's really miserable there. Okay, so Jane Eyre is correct. Take care and stay in good health and not die. Okay. Yeah. When I was a bit older, I used to... So when I was in... When I was 17 or 18, I would get really tired. And if you went and slept in your room, like during the day you'd miss lessons that would be Mm. not acceptable but if you went and slept in the infirmary the infirmary would say we admitted him he was unwell and you could get away with it so I remember doing that Uh. a few times of like going to the infirmary saying I feel dreadful and them saying just have a lie down and like just putting like not even taking any clothes off just putting a blanket over myself Mm. and sleeping for half an hour and feeling a bit better but when you were actually ill and in the infirmary yeah it was pretty pretty bleak because like at night no one was there Mm. they they closed up so you were just like in this dark place that wasn't even as comfortable as your own bed. Yeah, don't get mm. ill. Top tip. It's good to know. I sympathise because like I've been told at work that all my childhood stories should come with a trigger warning. So I feel like your boarding school stories are similar. Yeah, I think so. And I think in any closed environment like that, it creates sort of a law unto itself. Mm which I think is part of the trigger warning, right? Mm, that mm, things that were acceptable there, it's like prison, but less extreme. Mm. The norm that you establish can actually be quite far from like normal societal mm. positions, but you just take it as read that that's the norm, yeah. that this is the thing. So like they phased these out, but when I started, one of the punishments that uh, sixth formers could give you was called a run. And your name went up on a list in the morning. And that meant that day in first break, which was 25 minutes long, sort of 10, 10.35 till 11, you had to go to your dorm, change into your sports kit, come down to a to uh, outside there were two walls you had to run between them for 10 minutes and then you had to go shower change back into your stuff and make sure you were on time for your next lesson at 11 so you had 25 minutes to do that the school is big as well it takes you like five minutes just to get to your room so you're having to hustle and then you basically arrive at the next lesson drenched in sweat Mm. if you've had it like it's pretty rank but that was just a given that that was a, an appropriate punishment. Cool. And like now when you think about it, you're like, it's just kind of gross mm, and yeah. wrong. <laughs> but that was what we were expected to do. Yeah. Well, you make your own little like, you know, it's a society, right? So it's got its own rules, its own conventions, its own everything. Yeah. It just like, yeah, exists on its own. This is normal. Yeah. 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 And it's only sometimes when you talk to other people about these things that you're like, wait, that wasn't a normal thing to do. Yeah, you didn't get punished by being told to run between two walls for 10 minutes. Weird. We didn't have two walls, but we did have to do laps in PE. Yeah. And we did get write-ups if we didn't. Like, we, I never wanted to get dressed for PE because I was never going to do any fitness type things. So I would get write-ups. And if you got three, I think you got detention. But you could do homework in detention. Mm -hmm. And that was like a break, so. I volunteered for anything and everything to get out of PE. So I was just like on all, like, the magazine. And I was helping teachers. And I was doing this. And I was making tea and just anything. Because I hated getting changed. That was the number one reason. Just admin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Admin carrying a uniform to school. No, thank you. Who has time? Well, and like, <laughs> I'm not going to get changed into other clothes and then have a shower in front of other people. That was not ever going to happen for me. So oh. like, I didn't want to get changed back into yuckiness. We didn't even have showers. Like, it nice wasn't clothes. even an option. When I arrived at university, I would 
walk just in my towel down the hall I lived on to the shower. Mm. And a couple of people said, like, why are you doing that? Because I just spent eight years at school where that's what you did. You got changed in your room and you walked two flights of stairs to get to the shower. And ran a gauntlet on the way back. And people saw your (laughs) naked body and that was completely normal. And then I got to university and weirdly I felt like I didn't like my body but I felt that that was fine because everyone was doing it (laughs) and other people were like why would you do that you're walking topless around the place uh it's not like I was showing off it was the opposite I just thought that that's what you did and I the idea that I would like walk to the shower on our floor as a university student then take my clothes off like no that's back to front (laughs) fascinating so yeah especially because it's on your floor so it's like hmm That's even quicker. But also, like, I guess in my house, not to be TMI or anything, but like, I would just walk from my room to the bathroom, which is like two doors down. But like when I was flatting with people, Mm. there was no way that I would do that. You take your clothes in with you or when you're like staying in a hotel room, even sometimes in a hotel room, I'll take my clothes in with me, like just in case housekeeping comes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people definitely have different standards for this. Because when I was backpacking around Europe, like sometimes you would stay in these dorms. Like I remember in Budapest, we were in a shared dorm of like 24 beds in there. And some people... People would just be in a towel walking down three flights of stairs to go to the bathroom like on the bottom floor or whatever and then other people would just be like really uptight about everything so you just yeah a real mix would not yeah. recommend not again too yeah. old for that now i love being old enough to travel in the way that i've always liked traveling where i have mm. my own room and bathroom nice airbnbs no more hostels the dream just feels like everything I wanted when I was in my 20s. Frank, you and Andrew always get amazing Airbnbs. Like you had a nice, was it in Portugal last year or just before? Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Before lockdown, yeah. yeah. No, she she's very good on that. She has high standards. So is this her yeah. secret skill? Yeah. Some people have a secret skill. Yeah, one of her many, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Superpower. Yeah, and I'm much more like, yeah, that's good. That's fine. You know, I think a, a boarding oh, school is only probably one a factor. Floor to the sh- it's only one story to the shower? Cool. That's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, And the towel comes with it? That's great. Free towel. Yeah. Oh, the heating's on all the time. I can control the heating, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's weird now sharing, sharing a house with someone who didn't have that experience. As it gets colder in the year, it's October, November. She'll be like, I'm turning the heating on. And I'll be like, oh, but it's still October. It's too soon. And so I've internalized some of that. You know, can we hold on a little bit longer? It's like, we don't have to hold on. (laughs) We can have the heating on in June if we want to. Yeah. That's, I think, one of the things that's remarkable about it. The rules are so carefully enforced that you do internalize them to survive, to make sense, to navigate the environment. Mm. I don't remember anyone saying to me, how do you feel about heating? Do you feel it should come on in October if it's cold or not? But I've just internalized Mm. that there's a time when it's on and a time when it's not on. And And it's only when parents are visiting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mum and dad are coming over, put the heating on. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So it's funny. I guess the last question I had was, you know, obviously you've, it was a family legacy. Your dad went to the boarding school, your mm. brothers went. Is that something that will continue? Like, will Andrew be sending his kids? I don't know if he'll send them to Stonyhurst, but I imagine he'd want that kind of education for them. Mm. And in fact, because he's teaching at a private mm. school now, he'll probably get a discount as a teacher oh, yep. if he wanted his kids there. It is incredibly expensive. I mean, we went really, it wasn't that my dad was passionate about us being educated there. It was that he knew he'd be traveling mm. and he wanted us to get an education mm-hmm. in one place rather than swapping schools. Mm. And because he was a diplomat, there was money towards that. Right. So they paid for some of the fees. And it's the same, like we had some army kids there it's a similar Mm. thing in the uk if you if you're in this 
the forces or in the diplomatic service, there's money for that. Mm. I think Andrew, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he likes the pomp of it and the like, mm. the, you know, being smart, taking things seriously, showing respect for other people. He likes the values of mm-hmm. it. He's still... The ritual. Yeah, the ritual of it. He's still much more a practicing Catholic. Mm. And then Mark... Mark is actually the one who's now traveling. He's now in Lebanon mm. for work. So maybe he, if he has children, maybe he would be more inclined to be caring about that. It might carry on, I guess. Mm. It's expensive. Yeah. That's yeah. the main thing. Every piece of work you did, you had to write AMDG. The first, that was the first thing you had to write. And at, when you finished the piece of work, you had to write LDS. Hmm. which was Ad Maiorum Dei Gloriam, to the great glory of God, and Laus Deo Semper, praise God always, on everything. Oh, wow. And I remember getting to university and like knowing that I didn't need to write that, but being like, but this piece of work feels weird because mm. the top left corner doesn't have, like, what do I do with that? How do you make it clear to the teacher you finished the work because you've not put LDS at the end? Mm. <laughs> like, that's the end thing. The end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The end to every piece of work. In conclusion, the end. Yeah, these things permeate it, I think. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that you didn't write like little weird coded initials on <laughs> every piece of work? My daughter has to write LI for learning intention at the top of every new thing. Interesting. She has to do it in a special color. We just got a pen sorted out for her that has like like a multi-pen with all the different oh, colors. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you can see that, but like it's got different inks. The dream. She puts LI. Does she then write what her learning intention is? Mm-hmm. Okay. She'll write the rubric on the top. Uh, okay, I see. So interesting. Like, my school just did not care. There was no guidance. Same. There was nothing. You were just, like, chucked in mm-hmm. there and it was like, mm, good luck, I guess. It makes me wonder, though, like, if I was in an environment like you were in, Frank, and I was, like, that dedicated, what could I have achieved? <laughs> <laughs> narrows, narrows mm-hmm. eyes, brings fingers together. You would be unstoppable. Because honestly, I ran out of steam because I had to. Everything I did was self motivated. By the time I got to my yeah. last year of school, I was like, I don't care. No one else cares. Like, I'm obviously smart yeah. enough mm-hmm. to pass my exam. I don't need to study. I don't need to do anything. You just run out of motivation. Mm-hmm. But because I think you had so many hours to fill and that's all you were there to do, right? Like, it keeps you going. Yeah, and I remember the empty hours again, like the 17, 18 year old. The internet had arrived. Mm. I had friends online and like those quiet Saturday Sundays, I would like walk from one IT possible place to another one. So like there was the design and technology workshop had a computer in it and it, you could get in there at weekends, even though you couldn't get to any of the machines. Mm. So like go turn on that, log in, see if I had an email. I didn't go oh. back to my room. Remember, you know, it's lonely, but also these things really mattered. Mm. It's like, how do you fill the time? Did you have a good Sunday? Well, not really. I just kind of mooched around, mm. but it's obviously the kind of thing that's hard to remember because it's empty time mm. that you filled with reading or or emptily or you know just chatting with people or whatever it is yeah you'll love this as well when the internet first arrived you know before people had email addresses or at that time when most people's email address was like on their computer Mm -hmm. there was one computer with internet at school so if you wanted to be emailed you had to tell the person to to put your name in the subject line (laughs) and they printed out all the emails every day (laughs) and folded them so that just the subject line was showing at the top of the fold 
and then they put them as though they were posts. There was a, there was like a, a notice board with um, like elastic straps mm-hmm. on it that they could tuck oh. post into. So they'd post all the emails like like you'd got a letter. That was how email worked. Amazing. That's so it cute. It arrived electronically, but then was printed. So you'd run and be like, does any say Francis? Because I was Francis then, like looking for your name on the notice board. Oh, yeah, that's remarkable. Really cute. I love that. It was such a vital way of connection, I think. I think a sign for me of not feeling that settled in that environment or that scene, that the internet was such an amazing lifeline. Thank you so much, Frank. This was so good. Really appreciated your insight. You're very welcome. Thank you. This was such an interesting discussion. I had no idea what to expect, but I loved hearing your experiences. I just wish I could go back in time and like turn your heater on for you. <laughs> very worried about this. I feel very stressed for you. Little past Frank shivering in his cubicle. <laughs> I mean, that's the remarkable thing. First, the stages of making sense of it. At first, thinking I was very lucky. And then it dawning on me that some of those experiences were very weird and some bad mm. and making sense of that and I feel like I've made sense of a lot of those and quite happy talking about them mm-hmm. and that's part of the journey I think I think a lot of people get stuck at the it was great don't talk against it right yeah yeah because actually to start talking about I was lonely I was scared I internalized all these rules just to survive mm. an environment that didn't have a lot of love in it where you're just trying to get by you know the sort of like surviving in the playground mm-hmm. all the time it's hard I think so I think it's easier to just say it was great I was so lucky yeah, yeah. it could be both it can be yeah, a great experience to have had and it can also be awful yeah totally my therapist would say the same thing <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. contain multitudes and our experiences reflect that right yeah absolutely yeah no it's been a great pleasure I've really enjoyed talking about it and hope it's helpful I hope hope my experience wasn't too weird no it's amazing it's nice to know that you had a sort of the broad spectrum. I think that's a really good point. Like you're, I think you just personally, I, I love that you spoke about it with so much. It felt like it felt like even the things that were hard for you were speaking from the scars and not the wounds. Mm. So you're able to kind of contextualize it and say like, yeah, now that I'm a bit older, I see that this is different. And like something mm. we did was this. And this is what we called the years, which was really interesting. Like, I love that you were able to just break it down for us. And, and I really appreciate that you taking the time, especially yeah. on what looks like a nice sunny Saturday morning. Yeah, I'm going to go out for a walk now, I think. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, Sounds beautiful. We can sign off there then. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining Gen D and Gen B for this bonus episode. Marginalia Pod is written, edited and produced by Gen D and Gen B with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review this show on your podcasting platform of choice. Feel free to write an email to say hi. The email address is hello at marginalapod.com. The intro and outro music is by Scott Buckley. The full show notes and additional content can be found at www.marginalapod.com.